Welcome back, friends, to Beyond the Sectors, your bi-monthly podcast discussion all about the beyond world of author duo Kit Roca. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And we are here today to do our third book, the third episode, Beyond Pain, which is just so beautiful. We are very, very excited to talk about it. Before we get started, we'll start out like we normally do by giving just a little bit of a synopsis in case this is the first time you are uh, joining us and coming across the third book. Although, if that is the case, do yourself a favor and go uh, pick up the first two also. Don't start here. (laughs) Start at the beginning. Uh, Do you want to give us a quick little summary, Anna? Sure. Beyond Pain is the story of Brennan Six. Uh, Six arrived in Sector 4 as a captive um, and has been pretty much a feral cat uh, in the O'Kane world, suspicious and convinced that any moment now somebody's going to pull the rug out from under her. Um, and in Bren, she finds an unlikely safe refuge, someone who encourages her to reach for more. And in this story, they are um, going back home to um, Six's sector to try to put it to rights and uncover what's actually going on there. It is absolutely fantastic. It is one of my favorite type of romance tropes, which is the um, there's more to life than revenge trope. Um, it is one of my absolute favorites. So for that reason, Brendan Donnelly has always been one of my absolute favorites. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily any secret to say that while I don't think they officially have favorites, I think that Six is a um, favorite of Kit Roca in terms of the heroines that they've created and stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, she, for me, I love Prickly and she's beyond Prickly. She is jagged edges um, and... I remember the first time I read her, I didn't know what to do with her and fell in love with her as the book progressed mm-hmm. uh, because she is just so sharp and hurt and so different from the previous heroines in the books. And I mean, because she's different than Lex, who is mm-hmm. all posture and confidence. And she isn't that. She she has all these dreams that are sort of broken and she doesn't know how to dream again. Uh, so yes, I think she's just a fantastic heroine. I didn't feel that way for Bren at the beginning, but after coming back to this reread, I really liked him so much more. I have, like I said, I've always been a little bit of a sucker for Bren because I like that um, trope. Although I think that this book is a great book because it is essentially kind of an unlikable hero and an unlikable heroine. Um, capital letters, you know, TM, mm-hmm. air quotes, mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, <laughs> I have, you know, we all have very issues with those particular uh, phrasings, but, uh, and it just shows how, I think this is the first book where you really, really get a sense of the differences in how Happily Ever After can look and still be deeply satisfying to the people involved in the relationship and to the narrative. And I think that that is because, like, it happens for every character, but there are such high walls. And Six is so, it's not just a prickliness because there's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Lex is prickly at times. And, and it's just, but there's this ferocity and this desperation because of the things she's had to learn to do as like survival mechanisms that just make her walls so much higher and thicker and to so see those to see those get brought down over the course of the book is just I think a really fascinating kind of exploration of what happiness can look like for people who come from 
all different backgrounds, backgrounds of trauma in a whole, all the varieties of ways that that can manifest. Yeah. And I think as a heroine in the Beyond books, she wants things that are so different from all some of the other heroines. Mm -hmm. Like she wants to get physical out there. She wants to fight and beat up. And well, a lot of the other heroines are just, an, you know, Lex can defend herself. Mm -hmm. Noelle can be dangerous in her own way. But, but Six, Six wants to fight. Wants that. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, from the beginning, when we first meet her, um, Bren brings her that perfect gift of the man who has been, who abused her, where he, she gets to pop his face in. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that she wants different things and including in their sexual relationship and in their sense of what makes them a couple. Uh, they're much more exclusive than pretty much almost every other couple mm -hmm. in the series. And um, she has a very different approach to what uh, finds she, what how she reclaims her desire and what it means for her to reclaim her desire. Mm -hmm. So I, it's, it's just there's not going to be cookie cutter heroines or cookie cutter um, uh, uh, happily ever afters in this series. Mm -hmm. we, we really see that with Brennan Six. And I think that it's really, really um, important because I think in this book and I've heard, you know, the authors kind of joke on Twitter that, you know, six is a Bren sexual, like like six's sexual desires are centered around Bren. And that's wrapped up in like a whole host of things. But mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is um, important to that vulnerability and that relationship between them is that this is the first couple. We've explored lots of different aspects of kink over the course of these first like three books. But this is the book that really takes a look at um, like masochism and the need for mm -hmm. pain in your sexual mm -hmm. relationship, not just as a mm -hmm. side effect of other things, but as an integral part of that sexual experience. And I think that because Six is a victim of trauma, especially physical trauma, the, the way that that overlap and that power dynamic is handled, that's such a complicated one, is really done beautifully as they learn yeah. to share that. And Brian really kind of takes that wall down about himself because that's something that he is always kind of thinking about in the back of his mind is that Six is this survivor of trauma and he always is trying so hard to protect her even as the things that he needs, he feels are in conflict with that. They're not in conflict with that, but that's his thing to kind of wrap his head around. Right, because I mean, I love there's a scene where um, Bren and Six are talking about how she struggles with people feeling sorry about like the way that she was used sexually in the mm -hmm. past and how that wasn't the worst thing for her. Like that's almost like something she expected from the way that she was raised. Mm -hmm. And so that's not the trauma. It was the like the betrayal of trust and the betrayal of uh, promise mm -hmm. that really hurt her. And he sort of lets her like, you get to decide what was the worst thing, mm -hmm. right? So there's, he constantly is giving her permission to be herself. And it takes a while for Bren to let himself also then share exactly what makes him himself. And for him, his love of masochism is not a trauma-based thing. Mm -hmm. He had a crazy childhood and abandonment, but he's always liked pain. Mm -hmm. And and I also like that, that it wasn't something that, you know, was born out of a tortured psyche. Mm -hmm. No, this is what he likes. This is what he needs. And he's okay with that part of himself. Mm -hmm. um, but how to explain that to someone who has received this horrible pain and didn't want it kind mm -hmm. of stuff was. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. So I'm really glad that you made it because I think that that can be kind of a dangerous trap that sometimes um, specifically like S and M tropes can fall into, which is that um, 
desire and that is not to discount or say that there are not people who uh enjoy or participate in that kink because of or partly because of a root of trauma but like that's not always the case and it doesn't always need to be the case and so the fact that that's the choice that was made here for Bren I think is especially important especially there's an added layer to that of Bren is very um I think what you might consider to be like standardly macho or like standardly Mm -hmm. alpha in like a heteronormative kind of way of like he's very muscular he's kind of terse he's very willing to fight he's a soldier he's very good at following orders but he also has this side of himself that opens him up to a great deal of like vulnerability and so to see him be able to work through that with six and also to see them bring ace into that as kind of this like not neutral but very like lovingly involved kind of removed third party I think just was a really nice way to like expand upon and introduce that dynamic and walk the reader through it kind of as six is being walked through it at the same time yes yes i mean it it, because i loved ace in that role because he takes that role very seriously it it brings away we always known he has this really center core Mm -hmm. and but you really see it in the scene where he is being very careful to be respectful of what a six wants and also being very careful that he knows what his role is in that, mm-hmm. in that, in their relationship, respectful of boundaries, respectful of what he brings to the, that moment. Um, I, I think that's one of the moments where you really see a sort of shine as who he, he's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, it's, I love that we get that scene in this book because as we've already said, like, each book sets up the book that follows it. So the next domino in the series is um, Beyond Jealousy, which is the book of the trio. Our first OT3 are Rachel, Ace, and Cruz. And so we get in this book those kind of vi- those uh, interstitial perspectives from Rachel and from Cruz and from Ace. But then we are also given this additional layer of kind of character building for Ace that goes on through that scene. Because like you said, we've seen a lot of sides of Ace, but really that true depth of like caring and understanding and like giving in this very sensitive kind of situation I think is something that we really get to see this first time and it sets up a lot of the growth arc I think that happens in the next book as we move on to that Mm -hmm. speaking of uh things going on kind of in the background of the interstitial characters it's not just uh Rachel Ace and Cruz that we get chapters from we also get one from Maddox, right? Yeah, I mean, we get introduced to new characters like Scarlet in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get peeks at, uh, like, Jade. Mm-hmm. We get a... But, yeah, there's a episode... There's a scene with Maddox where you really get this... Like, he only had to lie once. It's always the line that... Um, I, I take away from that because he's always, you know, he's going to smooth things over, make mm-hmm. people feel good... And when people get uncomfortably close to the truth, he's just sort of like, "Eh." Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is my boundary. We're going to go back to flirty, fun talk. Mm -hmm. Which, and I think, and that's why I like watching the character of Maddox so closely, because Maddox is kind of our setup link to the next series that follows the Beyond series, because we shift to, we shift sectors to sector one, which was where Maddox's family is from. And so it's interesting And maybe it's a little, you know, it's cheating because you and I have read those books before. But I think it's interesting to see how some of those, some of his character dynamics are so influenced by the community that he comes from and the family that he comes from. Because just as a quick synopsis, he comes from a family who in their sector have been deemed uh, prophets. Mad's grandfather? Great grandfather. Yeah, grandfather. Basically, when the 
collapse happened, set himself up as a, a prophet and a major religious figure in this district. So Mad's family is the holy family. And so that sets right. up a They're lot the, of... The political and religious power in that sector. And with it, there's all the positives and negatives of that. You know, they have... For, in Maddox, we see the, the, re, the responsibility the and the uncomfortableness with fame because we get mentions here, you know, people will, you know, bow and scrape to him and he left that behind so he could become just an okay. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see that particular kind of like family dynamic, especially as we continue to add these other kind of um, background characters who will continue to be there. Um, Trixie and Noah and um, we'll get more and more of that um, in some solo series and some short stories and stuff. But each book, I think, has to dance a really delicate kind of balance of introducing those new characters while still giving a satisfying like main storyline. Right. So we get an, a chapter here or an introduction to Lennox, uh, Noah Lennox, who is actually the story 3.5. Mm-hmm. He and Emma, Emma being... Um, an apprentice of aces and Lennox, this uh, mystery hacker who lives out in four and three and who they need uh, access to. Um, And he plays a very uh, dangerous role. He's somebody that six knows Mm -hmm. and he thinks he's doing something good for sex and then uh, almost blows everything, everything up in Mm -hmm. what he tries to do. And he plays a very important role in this book as a hacker who is basically able to get behind the firewalls of Eden and get into like the computer records of the city, which become really important because in kind of, you know, switching to kind of talk about the politics of this book, I always feel like we need to do the two like sections kind of of the book (laughs) uh, and to talk about the politics a little bit. This book is a lot like there are two main things that are happening, which is the kind of takeover of sector three. Now that power structures have a little bit settled and Dallas has kind of, quote, officially taken responsibility for this Mm -hmm, new sector. mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's this much more personal storyline of Bren and the guy who basically burned him, who when he was a secret when he was working for the military in Eden, basically got him kicked out, gave him a set of orders, denied giving him the orders and basically threw him to the wolves and threw him completely under the bus. So he is. Basically, we come to learn, been searching for this guy and wanting to get his hands on this guy basically since it happened. And now he's got the chance. Right. Because as we uncover in the book, Bran basically had no identity till he became a soldier for Eden. He had he was sort of a child without papers, abandoned and is taken in by this man who then helps him as Coop, mm-hmm. who helps him get illegal papers and gets him recruited to, so he basically builds a life in Eden. He's rising through the ranks and at the same time sort of chafing under orders, trying to figure out the best way to be the person he wants to be, but still serve the people he's he's built his whole life around serving. Mm-hmm. And then this man just sort of cavalierly just throws him away, decides he's not valuable or maybe he's too important to other people. And he ends up now here with the O'Kanes, he finds a home with them, but I think he still holds that part back. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know who he he is. And I do. And I think that in all the ways that he can be, I think that Bren is worried that Dal- that as long as Miller is alive, 
there's still somebody out there who could hurt him or who could betray him. And he becomes so focused on causing that to not be the case anymore. And I don't wonder if he's a little bit worried that Dallas could do something like that. Like in like he knows logically that that's not true. But like there's that little part of himself, just like Six has that little part of herself that's like really afraid to make that final leap. And that's the thing that they have to kind of arc that they have to follow over the course of the book to get to that point at the end. Yeah, and I mean, it was really interesting to see both how uh, Bren and Six respond to the human trafficking that is happening in four that they, I mean, three that they uncover um, because they come from it from such different perspectives. Mm -hmm. He comes from it as somebody who's failed at stopping this in the past and wants to stop it from on top. And for her, she remembers being a captive Mm -hmm. and how it needs to end now. She doesn't care about the organization. She doesn't care about um, Mm -hmm. the big picture. She just knows she was once one of those people sitting in the dark. Yeah. Um, And what an incredible conflict to face, you know, that sort of what is what is the best way? You know, are people can you can you use people as bait? Can you use people, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things and. Um, I just love that tension because they just can't see eye to eye on that. Mm-hmm. They and and Brent screws up there majorly because he doesn't realize where Six is coming from. And I think that it's yet again an example of kind of like we've talked about. It's not just like a black and white, like because both of them make very good points. And essentially, the argument kind of comes down to this almost like trolley problem esque. Like, is it worth waiting an extra? you know, six hours or what have you to catch the the guy in charge um, if it means that some of these individuals or this group of individual actual um, trafficked individuals will come to harm. And because of the different places they're coming from with that, six can't wait. But that also gets into a little bit of, I think, that um, panicked kind of feral lashing out because not only can mm-hmm. she not wait, like she doesn't wait. And her mm-hmm. not waiting and her impatience really gets close to, like, blowing up Cause the whole yeah, situation it, it, for them and causing an yeah. entire breakdown. And, neither and like, neither one of them is being completely honest because Bren is also not sharing that, like, extra factor of the fact that this isn't just some guy who's doing this. This also happens to be the, the guy who burned him. Like, this is yeah. also, like, the guy he's been wanting to bring down for forever. And he can do it. To set his conscience straight about not having so- like stopped this problem in the past, so neither one of them is really being like fully on the level with where they're coming from, and it leads to this almost. Yeah, they both have their own kind of tunnel vision and their own edited version of what is happening here, and they they bring in a whole bunch of people to a situation where and not everybody knows what's really happening. Mm-hmm. So like. Scarlet doesn't know why they're doing this exactly right now um, on one end. And then you have the O'Kanes not not understanding all the motivations behind what what Bren is saying. So, yeah, it, it's interesting that they both are having the same kind of flaws, uh, which is interesting to have in a in a in a romance mm-hmm. and take them um, because sometimes, you know, it's so much opposites attract or people balancing each other. And Bren and Six are very much alike. Yeah. Uh, in their sense of protection, their desire to um, be able to defend themselves physically, uh, their struggle to trust. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like 
I am completing you kind of relationship mesh. It's more like we we are the, of the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much so cut from that same kind of cloth and needing that kind of it's like a key lock kind of situation, mm-hmm. like only in the way that they're like both flaws and complementary aspects overlap. Could they actually make space for the other person to be vulnerable? Because somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't have the patience of somebody like Bren isn't going to necessarily able to walk there with six the way she needs and Mm -hmm. somebody who can't meet the understanding for both pain and compassion that Bren has like isn't going to be able to give him so it's just that very fine like balance and I think it's so interesting because it's all part of this bigger puzzle this bigger like found family of the O'Kanes and how these two specifically kind of fit together which you know as we knew would be the case is a big part of Six's journey is learning how she fits into this puzzle that is so different from the environment that she knew back in three. Oh, I always love that scene in this book where she is basically, where she's sent to four, you know, I mean, sent to three. And how Lex asks her to do this, knowing that it's going to be difficult, but that she's the person with connections, that she's the person who can tell them who's on the up and up and who isn't. And I, it's, it, this book opens with that, her sort of saying something like when she gets to uh, three of like, oh, somebody's trying to been trying to clean up when it's like at this devastated landscape of rubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the most depressing thing. I just love that. that and she's like, oh, somebody's been trying to clean up around here. <laughs> it just sort of puts everything into context of how terrible things are, hap- are at three. And I love that we get to see the first steps of Bren and Six really walking into this role that I think... Both of them, like what I think is really interesting, and we'll talk a little bit more about it when we talk about the Patreon short stories that have come out, but there's a short story that's set in three that kind of continues the story of the rebuilding that's essentially all about found family and the found family that Six and Bren make. And I just think it's very interesting because like we see, while we don't really see Six have that a lot, we do see that there is this group of individuals at this bar that she used to be in who are the closest she can consider to some people who might be friends or to to family, Scarlett and Noah and these other people. And we saw Bren have it with Coop when he was back in Eden. And so I think it's really interesting to watch how that cycle kind of repeats itself. Right. And so like, it's somehow like a flawed found family, Mm -hmm. like uh, some of the people who were there and they recognized terrible things were happening but didn't weren't able to stop mm-hmm. it or the people who she was close to that she left behind because she was of Scarlet's group and before she goes to Trent, mm-hmm. right? So there's that whole like, man, you made this terrible choice. I still love you and I'm sorry you made that choice and that happened to you. And so there's so many layers to that, but there are people who care about her, who see her as somebody who something terrible happened to, but they they want to be there for. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting because it's a th- I feel like it's a lot of the same way with um, Coop. I feel like Bren struggles a lot with feeling like he owes Coop and is unable to pay him back. And really, what it is, like you said, it's this flawed foundation that you make with people who share this share like background of trauma and assault. And mm-hmm. I just feel mm-hmm. like you make those they're not even concessions I wouldn't even call them like concessions to people but you just you make those understandings and you make that space when you can share that background and so right so so yeah you accept them at where they are mm -hmm. you see them with the clear eyes 
So she has to like, he's great as long as <laughs> you don't let him leave mm-hmm. or, you know, don't, don't trust him to show up. Uh, but for, in this particular parameters, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so there was a lot of honesty and clear-eyedness in those friendships and relationships um, that, you know, I, I think it's it's a middle ground we don't always see in romance mm-hmm. because often it's like intense best friends, perfect found family, and uh, or everybody's terrible. And having this sort of relationships that are not perfect, that there's lots of up and downs, that there's old hard feelings, old failures and betrayals. It's really nuanced, the the relationships that grow out of there. I absolutely agree. And I think that that's um, watching the pieces of that move specifically between, like not just between the old sectors from whence they came and their old families, but even here with the O'Kanes as they navigate. Like it's a little different, right? Because Bren has been here for long enough that he has kind of figured out how to smooth his way through kind of a lot of that. And he's still dealing with it because he still has his own baggage. But Six is like, brand new on the scene and is really still figuring out how all of these things work. But it's really interesting to watch her with the O'Kane women, specifically the way she looks at and interacts with and feels about Rachel. And then (laughs) Bren with the O'Kane men just like as a whole and the way that group dynamic is always kind of shifting. This is the book where we even have Lex say to Dallas, like, you're scared of losing Bren the same way you quote, you know, like lost mm-hmm. Jacks or whatever. So we're finally given on the page that like full acknowledgement that that's something that Dallas is still dealing with and is kind of tiptoeing around. Right. Even as these in this book very much giving them greater responsibilities, trusting them with elements of the things like he isn't himself going and cleaning up three. Mm-hmm. He's sending Bren and sex. He is training up jazz and noel to run stuff in four um so you see that delegation and that starting to sort of expansion of power sharing of power happening with the okanes um but i I love the scene where like bren loses it and it's scary for six to try to understand what is going in his mind what you know and how he's processing things Mm -hmm. and it's jazz who says you know we got him and i just love that image of jazz just being there like in the shadows and and Bren mm-hmm. I'm sure Bren knows he's there because Bren is a soldier and Bren is always aware of his surroundings but you know like he's giving him that privacy in that space while still physically being there and like you said that moment where he tells her that you know he's got it they've got it he knows it's scary but they've seen him before like this they kind of know how to navigate that is also very reassuring for her too yeah, that she doesn't have to get this and be that person. And I think that's part of the O'Kanes, Um, where we consistently know that, you know, sometimes in romances, everybody has to be everything to each other. Mm-hmm. And in this book, you really see a lot of where you, maybe there's there's parts of you that you can't take care of for that other person. You, uh, Whether it's bringing an ace to, to teach uh, Six how to... Uh, uh, whip. Uh, um, yeah, how to whip, handle the flogger right. and how to how to right. inflict pain and, and, safely and all of that. Right, and and there's a room in there in their conversation where six sort of realizes maybe she won't be able to always do this right mm-hmm. or do it to what uh, Bran needs, and that you have to have other people in your lives who fit sometimes those needs, mm-hmm. and in that moment where uh, Bran is having his meltdown. 
she doesn't have to be the person who walks in there and solves it all. He has friends mm-hmm. who can he can turn to. In the same way, she will have she has friends who she can turn to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I think she learns that same lesson of she doesn't have to tell everybody and she doesn't have to be a completely open book to all the people. She has to be honest, but she can have relationships with each member of this group in a way that is individual and distinct. And as somebody whose kind of personal philosophy lines up with that idea that it can be, it's wonderful if you do, but it can be very unhealthy to search for every single thing that's going to fulfill you in a single person because Mm -hmm. finding that is very rare and incredibly difficult so that idea that spreads throughout these series and I think we really see illustrated in a bunch of different ways in this book is I think a really really powerful one kind of moving slowly towards the end I think that one of my favorite parts and because it happens in a couple of different ways in this book are when Six is really allowed to step outside of that kind of mold of expectation. And first, she's allowed to step into the ring. She's actually allowed to step into the ring on a fight night, which is so badass and so kick-ass. And that, like, group of O'Kane women who become her, like, cheering ring, like, that whole scene is just so satisfying. And then at the end, you know, like, she's really been kind of racking her head and dealing, wrestling with this issue of feeling useless. And she really kind of is sitting and thinking about it. And she realizes that she is not good at waiting tables. She's never going to dance. She's never going to be on the stage. But she really thinks that she could do a very good job and would be an asset to the O'Kanes as a bouncer to the club. And that and that scene where she kind of brings that to Dallas and they have to and Bren is there, but they have to navigate all the way that those politics and power dynamics work in trying to be supportive without being overshadowing are just two really beautiful scenes that I just love so right, much. Right, because she has to trust, yeah, because she has to trust Bren to be honest about her actual skills. Mm-hmm. And also, like, if he says she's not ready, she also has to trust him in that, that she, he's going to be honest about her skill set because he trusts her to be what she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's not going to become a bouncer overnight. She's going to train. He's going to, he's making, he's sure that she ha- she's ready to step into that role when she does. Uh, so I think that's just beautiful. Like the whole, like a partner who doesn't hold you back, but is also honest about where you are. And that it triggered what I was trying to remember earlier. That whole, your, your path is not other people's paths. Um, And that's very clear in her sexual development and her reawakening of her desires. Because, yeah, she or she, she, she's never going to be like in the middle of an orgy with the, with the Mm O'Kanes. She will love them and care for them, but that's not how she expresses herself. She will be in the corner watching Mm -hmm. it, enjoying it. Um, And how, how different that is, you know, that, um, that she doesn't have to be, to be okay, to be happy she doesn't have to follow what everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And so she never is going to have to smile at clients. She doesn't have to uh, be sexually liberated by dancing. Mm-hmm. They, no, she's going to protect those girls on the stage by taking those drunkards right out of there. So, And I think that that's what's really interesting is because over the course of the book, we see her change that kind of like feral cat status, almost into more of like a mama cat status. Like she's not, mm-hmm. she's not Lex. She's still is not necessarily the most like confident of people because she comes from an entire lifetime of not being that person. But she very much so has honed this protective instinct to now be surrounding of 
these people and specifically this group of women, which before was very difficult for her, I think, because of the background that she came from and because of the competitive dynamics for literally staying alive. Uh, Six came from this very much so like not like other girls or like not, you know, quote, you, you you know what I'm talking about that like quote oh, not yeah. especially compared yeah, she would she, look at she, people like Noel and Rachel and she would very much just like I'm and it towards the end it, it, she learns that that is nonsense and that they right. are and that they're all the same in the way that they all possess and manifest their own strengths and stuff and so to see her really turn that around and create that family specifically with the other women and then be so protective of them is just so beautiful to see yeah to give them room to be safe I mean, I think back, I mean, like when we find out why she's called sex, yeah. uh, that her family is one of those sector farm families. Uh, she is, her, her father had seven wives, her mother, and he had, he only named the boys. Mm-hmm. And then he, the girls would be called by their order of birth. <laughs> That's, and so you're like, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, but that she, but that she had that little treasure of that mom so young, uh, who who loved her and brushed her hair and that sort of like inkling of a memory of that, mm-hmm. and how she treasures that and how that carries over then to finding her own identity, not just one of six children, um, in that that identity will become protective of women who are in danger and vulnerable because she could never protect her mother and she could never protect the girls in sector uh, three. Mm-hmm. Um, but now she can, mm-hmm. now she can. She's been empowered to do those things. Yeah. And she, and she always felt like she could never really protect herself either. She takes a long time to get over feeling so lied to and manipulated um, by Wilson Trent, by yeah. him when he was alive. She takes a long time to kind of work through that baggage. And I think it's easy to see where, carrying that one memory of her mother and that receiving of affection, then growing up in the sector and losing out on that and then having this person present that to you, it becomes much more easy to understand how she made the decisions she made in the community she was in to end up in this position. And of course, that really backfires for her because he's a monster and Mm -hmm. she ends up even more hurt than she was to begin with. So then she's just, it's like layers on layers. And so to what it's just, there's a lot going on in this book, guys, and I love six right. so much. <laughs> so yeah, no. So there's there's that whole growing into uh, into three, trying to untangle all the stuff that's happening. There's a whole other plot line with the um, distilleries, right? That mm-hmm. they're popping up, that are pretending to be O'Kanes. Mm-hmm. There's some we have we have a mystery that's that's kind of a setting up a mm-hmm. bigger, even bigger arc going on alongside the politics. There's some kind of mystery backer who's financing mm-hmm. these bootleg distilleries who are trying to rip off the O'Kanes and that's big no no that's literally about the only big no no in sector four is trying to rip off Dallas O'Kane's liquor you don't do that <laughs> so yeah so for me the 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 story of trust the, the growing the being safe in vulnerability community um and owning what you really want for yourself mm-hmm. um and I love that scene when she goes and asks to go and be put in the ring. Yeah. Um, and, how, you know, and you see it's, it's Dallas is there and Lex is sort of like, you better not screw this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, it's such a test of like, trust me, no, she's going in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so interesting because, you know, they 
there are many books in which the outcome of that situation might very well have been different, but each of them is able to kind of work through the power on their own. Bren by promising Dallas and swearing to Dallas that he's going to be able to stay out of it and handle it. And six to promise that if she's going to go in there, she's going to go in there prepared and, and ready and, and ready to handle it. And she does. She very much so does. And I think that we see over and over and over again, this really beautiful giving of by Bren of this thing that is not necessarily his to give, but is also very important for Six for him to acknowledge that he's doing this because she comes from mm-hmm. a place where men didn't do this beforehand. So she needs to learn that it's not really like he doesn't have the power, all the power that she's giving him, but he also needs to take and accept responsibility that she's looking to him to do that. We see it when she steps into the ring. We see it when they go to her little, uh, her apartment, her basically right. little bug out apartment that she still keeps private to herself. And he is, I mean, he gets to be in it. Yeah. I won't say he's fine existence. with it, but he, he, yeah. he accepts that she needs it. And he's so honored and grateful that she has taken him to that secret place and so it's just so because he's needed that so much to see him give that to her is just so awesome well and i mean and they have that moment where sexually she realizes that he doesn't want one yes Mm -hmm. but that it's gonna be a continual yes um because he's not satisfied with her just saying he, he wants like that she will always that she will continue to be able to give to him that that just is such a moment where she realizes that her body's her own and he doesn't want to own her body mm-hmm. or her desires or anything about her she he just wants to be graced by it when she's willing to give it mm-hmm. you know that's a, such a different so good of- <laughs> ah! it's so good i just love it so much and we see that spread throughout the whole book there's such it's such a hot like one of the hottest scenes in this book happens like basically first off when he's walking her home from fight night and basically they keep like further engaging in more physical activity and six keeps being like why won't you like fuck me why won't you have sex with me why aren't we doing this and he literally says like we started fucking the minute we started talking like the whole Mm -hmm. thing is the experience Mm -hmm. for Bren Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. her needing to learn that it's not just this one solid like missionary act that translates into sex between them and like all the different shades and ways that that like plays out is just such an awesome exercise and like trust and also like consent and mm-hmm. autonomy and just all of those things that we love so much right. about it's really books. it's really so much about an ongoing consent mm-hmm. and and within an established relationship where so much of she feels like Trent took all these things because she let him have it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she, Brent rejects that, that that's not how it is. The moment she wants something to stop, it stops. And it's not like, oh, I you just get to have this or just take it. That's just not going to be part of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Which is true for all of the okay and men, but is mm-hmm. especially so important to see it because of that background that six is coming from and that added layer of like trauma that she's already experienced in her adult life now coming into this new like community uh all right so moving towards the final wrap-up did you have any like standout favorite moments characters things that happened in this book i mean i will never get over the uh her beating the heck out of that guy in the cage and 
what I love is that the girls steal her away at, for celebration. You know, it isn't like most of the time, like, oh, you know, the, the girl comes up and they're going to go off. No, it, it's the women claim her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, that's just, that's such a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's so wonderful. I think if I really had to pick one, it's a tie between when they go back to that like secret apartment that she has uh, and he is, you know, so honored to be kind of have let there. And he has a reaction that I think they're both a little surprised by or both a little taken mm-hmm. aback by how they mm-hmm. reacted. And then the scene where Bren finally realizes, like, he's got the chance to take that, like, final revenge. And it's not worth it to him to, like, actually chase down the bad guy because Six is there. And, like, he's refocused and realigned. And, like, I love it every time it happens when it happens <laughs> in this kind of story trope. But it's just that, like, light bulb moment where it finally, like, goes off for him. It's just a really, like, satisfying kind of climax to that particular storyline for Bren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because he suddenly realizes he doesn't have to chase a ghost when he has the life that he wants in front of him. That's just that. Which is just so good. (laughs) It's just so perfect, friends. And I feel like that's like the perfect little note to leave off on. So we will go ahead. We will end our conversation here. Thank you so much for joining us to come and talk about book three, Beyond Pain. Uh, Anna, do you want to let everybody know where they can find us online? Yes, you can find us at uh, beyondthesectors.com or at beyondsectors on Twitter. Perfect. And then I am on Twitter at An Outlaw Life. And I'm Anna Koki. And yeah, join us in a couple of weeks. We will be here to talk about my personal favorite book, the book that I bought in hard copy, the book of my heart that I'm very excited to talk about. And I know you guys are excited to hear. We're going to be coming back to talk about Beyond Jealousy, which is, of course, Rachel Ace and Cruz's book, our first not uh, love line, our first little love <laughs> triangle official OT3 happening. And I'm so delighted. So, yeah, friends, until next time, uh, take care of yourselves and we'll see you beyond the sectors. Bye. Bye bye.